thank you so much for joining us today. I'm Ruth Ward. I'm the Director of Government Affairs here at Family Policy Alliance. And this week we're talking about um, a hard topic, the National Suicide Prevention Week. Um, and we're excited um, to be able to, to bring a special guest here that I'll bring on in just a moment. Um, but here at FPA, um, we want you to know we value life from the beginning of conception uh, to all the way to natural, natural death. Um, and one of those um, topics um, that we want to discuss there is assisted suicide. Um, and with me today, um, I have Matt Vallier, um, who is the executive director of the Patient Rights Action Fund and the Institute for Patients' Rights. Uh, so thank you so much for being here with me today um, and to discuss this important topic. Um, so I'm going to kick it right over to you to kind of explain to our audience a little bit about what assisted suicide is and how widespread of a problem is it. Thanks for having me, Ruth. I really appreciate it. Um, we're very honored that uh, our great ally in the Family Policy Alliance is happy to have us on and talk to um, talk to your audience about this difficult topic of both um, suicide in general and how it's playing out in policy. So I think when when most people say assisted suicide, we're talking about assisted suicide laws. Um, those public policies allow um, a situation in which people who have life-threatening disabilities can request um, help from their physician in killing themselves, and in some states, um, also other medical professionals. That comes in the form of a, a request in a medical health consult. Uh, that person must have a six-month or less prognosis, uh, according to the statutes. And in most of the states, not all, uh, you must be a resident of the state that you're making a request. And um, there are some various differences. Some, some states have a, a waiting period, a kind of cooling off time in case uh, this is a rash decision. And in, in other states, the, the waiting time is, is very minimal. Um, so the idea behind these laws is to have a their hope of proponents is to give people uh, an out. Uh, it's, it's a way to give them more autonomy at the end of life and, um, and alleviate their pain. The difficulty is that uh, those, those goals are not only not achieved, these public policies exacerbate uh, the disparities in healthcare access and the, the 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 limited choices that many people have. So, uh, and that's not to that's not to talk about somebody's particular and personal um, choice uh, about these things. It's just simply bringing in um, third parties into the end of life decision making of of the patient. And so, what the laws actually end up doing is removing all of the usual protections that people uh, who are patients in medical settings have. Uh, so in general, if a physician were to help a patient kill themselves, that doctor would probably get prosecuted and go to jail under criminal law. They could be sued by the family uh, and they probably lose their medical license by the medical licensure board. In an assisted suicide legal states, uh, those, those states remove all of those protections. And so if, if but only for people with life-threatening disabilities. 
Yeah, could so, you talk about that for a second? What are those um, life-threatening disabilities that maybe we aren't thinking about, or maybe maybe it's even have you seen it ever expanded to even beyond those life-threatening immediate, you know, end-of-life decisions? Sure. So when I say life-threatening disabilities, I I typically um, need to clarify. So a lot of people think, oh, assisted suicide, that's, that's people dying of, uh, you know, stage four metastatic cancer in their nineties or something. Right. Um, and that does happen, um, where people request, um, at that stage of the game and in that time of life, but it also applies, um, because it's a six month or less prognosis as the litmus test, you have all kinds of people applying and being approved for assisted suicide. Um, so those people can include, uh, and I'm, I'm just listing off things that are right there in the organ reports, things like diabetes and HIV. These are obviously treatable and non-life-threatening conditions with the treatment, but without the treatment, uh, or if you forego treatment, uh, that, that renders you having a six month or less prognosis. But there have been others that most people don't know about things like anorexia. Um, there, there are, uh, there's a doctor right in your backyard in Colorado um, that helps young people with anorexia kill themselves with assisted suicide, terming their anorexia case as, as hopeless, and so they're going to be dead in six months or less. Um, things like arthritis, blood disease, complications from a fall, a hernia, kidney failure, medical care complications, um, these are these are so ambiguous that one has to wonder what the criteria really are. Um, so, yeah. So so it's often about like it almost sounds like it's whether or not the will of the person there when they're walking in. Um, what kind of what kind of is that determining line of whether a doctor is going to prevent pr promote suicide prevention if they're feeling absolutely hopeless versus uh, maybe the the path that you're talking about where you know they might say, oh, this is this is an easier route than fighting through what you're saying. And I don't know if that's an argument that they make. Yeah. So here's probably a good a good moment to go back to Suicide Prevention Week. Um, you know, for for anyone who may be experiencing um, suicidal thoughts or actions, and this can be even among very young children, older adults or people with life threatening illness and disability. This is a sign of extreme distress and should not be ignored. Um, if you or someone you know, needs immediate help, please call or text the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 988. Um, and you can learn more at their website uh, about suicide prevention um, and what to do in circumstances where you're concerned about yourself or others. Uh, in, in the context of assisted suicide laws, uh, and this is where the real difficulty is in terms of whether or not these laws should stand. You have a situation in which somebody's coming into a medical setting, they're expressing a desire to harm or kill themselves to a medical professional who has a duty to care. There's a standard of care when somebody expresses that desire and it's suicide prevention care and services. And if you don't provide that, uh, you're, you're abdicating your responsibility as a medical professional. And in fact, in most places, and we as an organization, we're a secular, nonpartisan uh, group. Uh, we're here to kind of bring everyone together in opposition to assisted suicide laws. And so we don't really take a position on, on the question of forced care. Um, but in general, 
the standard of care, if somebody's, if, if a medical professional is concerned that somebody's going to harm or kill themselves, uh, they, they can, in most states, forcibly admit that person to the psych ward in order to protect them um, from harming themselves. Whereas in an assisted suicide legal state, places like Colorado or California, Oregon, um, you know, New Jersey, Maine, if a person who happens to have a condition that with or without proper medical care would render them having a six month or less prognosis, all of those protections go out the window. And in fact, it's not always the case that suicide prevention care and services are offered. Um, these statutes often say very explicitly that assisted suicide cannot and should not be considered suicide at all. And yet here's a patient expressing a desire to kill themselves. And the doctor not only doesn't provide them with the standard of care, but they also help them to do it. Um, in most instances, again, this person, this medical professional would be censured and maybe go to jail and all these things. And yet in this circumstance, um, they're not only withholding the standard of care, but they're also providing that suicide help. And what's the difference between the two? Their health and disability status. Yeah, and, and I that's see where, Sorry, flash that where it says do no harm. Um, we always think of that, right? If we have a loved one that walks in, if that's one of like, you know, our parents, our sister, our brother, whatever it is that walks in the room, we want that medical community to holistically wrap themselves, you know, say, hey, let's let's fix this problem, not here's, you know, the option of assisted suicide. So where does the doctor stand? Where do they just throw do no harm out the window or where did that fall fall out? Fall out of place. So I mean, I think that many physicians who are participating in assisted suicide are generally people of goodwill and they consider themselves um, weighing um, the, the medical, the medical ethics questions of maleficence and beneficence. Right. And so if they believe themselves to be being beneficent by removing the pain um, yet in this circumstance, uh, you're basically killing the patient in order to alleviate the pain. And that, that, that seems like a, uh, a non sequitur. Yeah. And so you were talking about life threatening um, situations, but I know you've worked a lot on um, those with disabilities, which we of course would say are very valuable. And can, can you talk a little bit about that? And maybe some, some things that you've been involved in um, on that front to protect those with disabilities. Yeah. So, I mean, from, from our perspective, so much of this, push to legalize assisted suicide, it's often um, sold as an addition onto autonomy or um, an alleviation of pain. Um, the top five reasons people request assisted suicide drugs in le legal states are all disability related concerns. The, the inadequate pain control or the fear of it is number six. It's, it's barely in the 25th percentile. Whereas Things like uh, the, they're worried about uh, losing autonomy, worried about being a burden on family. These are things that, and worried about losing control of bodily functions. These are things that people with disabilities face all the time. But what does it all boil down to? It boils down to this fear and loathing of disability. Um, people with disabilities are devalued in our society, so much so that many would um, deprioritize people with disabilities for um, optimal care and even scarce medical resources, as we saw during the pandemic. Uh, in, 
in in the pandemic, there were state crisis standards of care that in fact said, if you have XYZ disabilities, you're not getting the ventilator if somebody else is walking in at the same time, right? So there is a, a clear deprioritization of people. There are other policies and practice that that clearly deprioritize and discriminate against people with disabilities resulting in death, right? So there's a, a, a metric that determines how we meet out scarce medical dollars, uh, resource dollars. It's called the quality adjusted life year. And it basically says that if two similarly situated people are vying for the same dollars and one of them has uh, a disability, that uh, saving that person's life for a year, a year of that person's life is worth less and a certain percentage less according to this metric than saving the person's life without that disability. Um, and so they're going to allocate the scarce medical dollars to the non-disabled person. This is this is inherently discriminatory policy. We see assisted suicide in the same light. It basically says, here's a subset of people with disabilities that is life-threatening disabilities. And, and according to the federal government, cancer is a disability, ALS is a disability, and certainly all of these other questions um, that there are people with, say, a spinal cord injury. If you have a high spinal cord injury and you need uh, a ventilator to live, I have friends and know people and advocates that work on this issue with us. They're lawyers and, and they're advocates and they, they have jobs and they have kids and all of this, and, but they need a, need a ventilator to live because of their disability. And yet those people too, under assisted suicide law, qualify for lethal drugs if they wanted them, right? And that's where we have this set of people that's not getting the same care, treatment, uh, and, and equal protection as everyone else. Yeah. Well, thank you for walking us through that. And before we leave, I want to ask you a couple more questions. But one of them is, um, how do our viewers get involved here with changing hearts and minds, whether that's a legislator at the state? Um, like you mentioned, some states that have already passed legislation here, or maybe they're thinking about supporting legislation, or even a neighbor. Um, how do they get involved with with that? So I think that um, people should begin maybe by just educating themselves about the issue. It's not something people like to talk about very much. And many people don't even know how those laws work. Um, there, I meet people all the time who live in states where it's legal and don't even know that it's legal. So I think it's important for people to learn more and they can do that through looking on our website at praf.org. Um, or any of the other allies, including your own website. Uh, you have good resources there. Um, the, the other thing is that when you know um, what's at stake, so in, in this issue, the devaluation of some people is at stake. The fact that the root of this is that some people's lives are considered less worth living, less worthy of care less worthy of healthcare dollars. That is something that we need to fight in our own selves. If you take a good hard look at yourself and realize that you too um, have these uh, latent um, little you know, devaluations uh, in the way you think about things. Um, if, if, you're cons if you don't even know your homebound neighbor, for example, know what's going on for them. Uh, find out if they need anything. If there are older adults in your life, do you do you visit them regularly? Um, that's those are kind of concrete, easy, communal, right in your own personal life way of thinking about what's at stake here and addressing it um, in real time with your actions. 
Um, but I think also just understanding the challenges that people with disabilities are facing and the devaluation of their lives occurring in medicine and policy. Um, sometimes we don't even realize that our actions or presumptions can harm others. And when it comes to scarce medical resources and suicide prevention care and services, do we just throw up our hands and say, oh, well, you know, if I was like you, I'd want to die too. Or do you say to yourself, no, no, um, we need to cherish value and support people who have uh, you know, a variety of conditions and or who are generally speaking devalued or historically underrepresented in our society. Yeah, and I love what I love what you're saying there about valuing the other person and to just keep watchful eyes around us. You know, here we we are um, a faith-filled organization, faith-based organization, and we believe that God is a God of hope, and that there are people out there that are hopeless. And just to keep an eye on those, or if that's you, I think we talked about that already with the resources there, with the hotline and and others. Um, just be there for for each other, um, and we really appreciate having you on here today, uh, Matt. Could you go ahead one more time, tell us your organiz or your um, your website um, and any. Uh, any other website if if you'd like to share that sure so the, the patient rights action fund our 501c4 is praf.org the institute for patients rights is our 501c3 sister organization and that's at institute for patients rights.org the c3 the institute is involved in a um a, a fairly substantial federal lawsuit um with other plaintiffs, both organizational plaintiffs um, among our disability rights allies and some individuals with disabilities in federal court in California. Uh, that lawsuit is challenging the assisted suicide law there as inherently discriminatory against people with disabilities. Uh, if it were to be successful, it would overturn the law in California. Uh, the, any information about that website will be updated regularly at endassistedsuicide.org. And that, that website represents the kind of group of organizations that are working to push back on these insidious, dangerous, and inherently discriminatory public policies. Yeah, thank you so much for those resources. And as always, our family policy councils that are working in this state, as well as Family Policy Alliance, uh, we'd be happy to, to share any resources there and fight alongside each of you. And uh, we appreciate your time today, Matt. And thank you all for watching. Uh, join us again next time. Brought to you by Family Policy Alliance. Our vision is a nation where God is honored, religious freedom flourishes, families thrive, and life is cherished.